geopolitics and empire is joined by Gideon Hubert, who hails from South Africa. He's got a fascinating background. He'll tell us all about it. Welcome to GNE, Gideon. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Ravier. I really appreciate the invitation. It's uh, I've checked out your website and your other streams, and it's it's really high quality stuff that I've I, you know the sort of interviews that I myself like to do with other people, but I don't have the talent or the technical skills to pull them off. So thank you so much for for having me. And uh, look, it's going to be a, a great talk, I think. Yeah, m- maybe I'll get you into trouble. I recently interviewed the Dutch politician Terry Baudet. Uh, and that went viral. It was featured on national uh, Dutch media. They were uh, using it to attack him because he talked about reptiles and Vladimir <laughs> Putin. But I, I somehow stumbled across your Twitter account recently uh, because, as I was saying, I, I follow a lot of these military security folks who, who follow you, uh, NC Scouts, uh, Joe Dolio, who have been my guests on TNT Radio. And uh, I love your analysis. I think we see eye to eye on a lot of things. And I couldn't find too much in terms of your bio, but you know, could you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and the work you do? Okay, uh, I'll give you the whole thing. So I've been, um, I used to be an airline pilot. I was uh, flying jets for a living for about uh, 14 years, uh, since 2008. Then lockdown happened, and that kind of ended my career completely, um, for want of a better word. But I've always been about since 2013, 2014, been involved in uh, the firearm rights debate in South Africa. I, I really hate calling it gun rights because guns are inanimate objects. They don't have rights. However, people do. So maybe the correct description would be personal safety rights or rather self-defense rights debate. Um, I've written about the topic since then. I've done interviews, podcasts, and and then I took it to the next level and I became an actual firearm instructor, starting with the basics and then working my way up to getting to the advanced level firearms instruction, which in South Africa, we, we don't have a, a stronger gun culture as America. Advanced level for us might is definitely not what they would consider to be advanced level on the, on the United States. Um, so I've been involved with that. Uh, I've also started work as a private security consultant, uh, working for myself and working for other firms around here. So I do do professional security consulting. And uh, I have a very, very extensive interest or rather um, extreme interest, if you, if we could call it that, in personal safety, in personal security, as well as commercial security, as well as the national in South Africa, now safety and security situation. And of course, how that is impacted by global events, because there's a lot that can be spoken about, about transnational organized crime and how it impacts us locally. But yeah, that's the big picture overview of who I am and where I come from. A message from our sponsors. It seems we may be headed for the 1930s all over again. Financial collapse, tyranny, and world war. I've already secured multiple passports, offshore accounts, safe havens, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. My friend Mikkel Thorup of the Expat Money Show is hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim freedom in this fourth turning by moving your life and wealth offshore. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy surviving on insect protein while stuck in the metaverse. Since 2020, Ron Unz of Unz.com has argued the COVID outbreak was due to a U.S. biowarfare attack against China and Iran. Jeffrey Sachs, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and others are now making similar suggestions. Weeks before COVID appeared in Wuhan, a top U.S. biowarfare official ran the Crimson Contagion exercise on how to protect America against infection 
if a dangerous virus suddenly appeared in China. After COVID appeared in Wuhan, it jumped to Iran, infecting Iranian leadership only weeks after America had assassinated Iran's military commander. Iran publicly accused America of an illegal biowarfare attack and filed a complaint with the UN. Ron Unz has produced a free ebook and is available for interviews to further discuss this issue. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Fascinating uh, stuff and, you know, security, that's a big theme uh, for me as well. And, uh, you know, maybe to start globally and then get to South Africa, because uh, I didn't want to get your thoughts on, um, well, you know, my general view is that things have been predictably heading south for, for decades now. and. I think we're approaching this predictable end game or, or transition phase, whatever you want to call it, where you know Western empire is both seemingly declining and striving for greater global domination, leading to economic collapse. We see it everywhere in so many countries, uh, you know, decline here in Mexico and South Africa, you know, Asia, all over the place, um, social unrest, increased totalitarianism just across uh, the board. I know you've mentioned it in, in South Africa. I see you've got a... Um, a live uh, interview you're going to be giving in a couple of days to talk about that and uh, you know potential world war three with russia and china i actually saw a clip today from 1997 russian tv talking about uh, 1997 where they saw war games where the u.s had been wargaming war with russia and china in 2025 um using ukraine as uh you know an excuse which is you know this is pretty crazy so uh you know what's your take on the global situation the global situation is a complete mess. And I, I think you're 100% correct in saying this has been a long time coming. And it's almost been, I'm loath to, to use the word engineered because I don't think the people responsible for it are that intelligent. Um, I think they, they've they just been absolutely committed to very bad policy, which we can actually morally refer to as evil policy that's led us down this path. I mean, someone like Milton Friedman has been warning us for probably close on to five decades, well, before his death. Uh, about wh what this fiat currency system was going to get our monetary systems domestically and, and globally, the, the sort of danger that it poses if it's mismanaged or abused. Uh, I mean, since the end of the Bretton Woods system, and I think it was 1975, there was no gold or asset link to, to any currency, not even the, the world reserve currency that is the US dollar. It's all been free floating since. And in a very short period of time, We've inflated and eroded value away, and people think inflation is just a, a thing that that items become more expensive. It's actually a, a method of theft and taxation, where your savings lose their value over time because the government is printing money that is then, it's then using for its own projects or social projects or what, whatever it needs to do in order to expand its influence, power, and uh, and prestige. So it's not very intelligent it's it's a very simple thing and this is where we are today it's the same thing with the war on global war on terror it's been a complete failure but ever since 9 11 we've had more surveillance more erosion of freedoms i mean the patriot act is still in action uh, or still in force barack obama had an opportunity i think in 2011 to uh, not renew some of its sunset clauses he, re he renewed every single one of those i think except two and uh, I'm pretty sure last year the, the remainder of them was were renewed again. I, I missed the memo on that, but I'll take a look. But we're living in this uh, weird sort of postmodern era where we talk about liberalism, freedom, human rights, 
basic human rights and 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 this the sort of like and happiness indices, but we are less free. It's the erosion is continuing, and as you rightly mentioned, we're sitting probably closer to a global nuclear war than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, uh, f- fun times, really. <laughs> I, I just say, you know, grab the popcorn, your favorite drink, and I- enjoy the show. I mean, what else are you going to do? I'm not going to sit here crying about it, all depressed. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we ha- we have to maintain. Uh, you know, positivity, being being happy in light of <laughs> and this is you know, no, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, so you know, these are historical cycles, and maybe then to jump to uh, South Africa. I'm in Mexico, where things definitely are are not good. Uh, I, I hear things are very bad in South Africa. It might be worse than Mexico. I'm not sure, uh, but I've had friends tell me they were planning to leave the tyrannical European states. Uh, for South Africa. And then after doing more due diligence, they said, uh, you know what, forget about it. We're going to look <laughs> somewhere else. What's the what's the situation like in, in South Africa overall? So the situation in South Africa is interesting. It's it's probably the most interesting it's it's been in, in three to four decades. So from a social and security, uh, sorry, a safety and security perspective, things have eroded extensively, especially since 2011. We are, we've had a homicide rate that's increased every single year for the past uh, 11 to 12 years, uh, and it's increased markedly. We probably have one of the highest rates of rape and sexual violence in the world. Uh, we have a kidnapping rate that's increasing rapidly. It's still fairly low, but I mean, there was a 100% increase in it in the, the first quarter 2022 compared to the first quarter 2021. So we have these violent crimes, much of them drug related. We have uh, extensive sort of gangs running drugs and the two fours are violent as well as their, their competition for the market that are integrate into a much more complex sort of organized crime ecosystem that I'll rather unpack a bit later. I just want to give you the big picture of it. And it's it's very complex and there's it's a whole industry on its own. Uh, then we've got corrupt politics politicians that are sort of eroding the security services uh, or capturing them for their own use as opposed to actually utilizing them to uh, fight crime, for example. Um, and this economic collapse that we as a country is is experiencing at the moment as well as me we have the highest unemployment rate in the world at the moment and it's incre- it's still increasing it hasn't there's no sign of even slowing down or tapering uh we our currency is devaluing at a steady rate against other currencies in the world at present we are sitting with numerous economic social and uh, political problems and it's all going to manifest in something by the 2024 general election, where it's entirely possible that the current governing party, the African National Congress, also known as the ANC, that's been in power since 1994, is not going to get enough votes to actually form a government, nor are any of their traditional allies going to have enough votes to form a coalition government. So we're going to end up either with an opposition government becoming the governing party, or we're going to sit in a situation like the Israeli Knesset regularly has or the Belgians had mercifully for a long time, which is where you can form no government, which in my opinion would be a wonderful thing because it means these people, these horrible people cannot force through any of their terrible ideas because they're gridlocked, which would give all of us a, a great relief. Then there's, of course, talk of, of various provinces seceding from the Republic of South Africa, which is a 
amazing topic on its own. So there's a lot going on here. And um, in spite of all the horrible things, I'm for the first time in a long time relatively optimistic about where it might go. Unfortunately, July last year, uh, we had something called the July 2021 riots. It, it lasted for about a week. The most destructive riots and looting in, in uh, the country since 1994 and possibly in its history. So there's a very good chance we're going to see a repeat of that event within the next uh, six months, uh, possibly slightly longer than that, but definitely within the next year. So there's a great many concerns, but we'll unpack these things, I'm sure, individually. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that for the first time in, what, 20 plus, almost 30 years, you might actually see... Uh, uh, a, a change, right? As you said, from the ANC, which I would agree, you know, any, whether it's gridlock or opposition, I mean, that's that's a positive, no? It definitely is a positive, but it's also something that um, I keep trying to remind people of is you cannot trust the political class to keep their promises. It's been the case now for, for eternity and that the solution really lies with civil society pertaining to creating parallel infrastructure and institutions in order to live your life, do business, be profitable, be productive, be happy, and be safe, where you do not rely on state infrastructure to support you or, or actually um, fulfill any of these roles and, and, and these needs. And there's been an awakening in South Africa where there, there is a very active and proactive civil society of various organizations from various cultural groups working independently from each other, trying to create these systems to, to achieve exactly that. So whether or not we have a gridlock government, whether or not we have a government that tries to turn the ship around, ultimately, I think no one's going to bet the farm, so to speak, on positive change there. It would just be great to have the current bunch of thieves out of power, uh, because that's literally what they are. They, they rob the country and the fiscus uh, completely empty and broken. That's, that's why we are we are. I didn't even talk to you about the electricity crisis, but that's a that's also something that we have at the moment is yeah, perpetual yeah. rolling blackouts. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get to that uh, a little bit later, but you mentioned the organized crime and I saw you uh, retweet from someone who said South Africa may soon be one of the kidnapping hotspots uh, in the world. And once again, women and children are left to fend for themselves as political leadership has destroyed the integrity of the South African police uh, service. And I'm hearing in Jalisco, uh, the state of Jalisco, Mexico, and it was recently reported that 200 plus cops, policemen, authorities have had cases open against them for kidnapping people, citizens, um, us. We had Ayotzinapa some years ago, 43 university students were uh, renditioned and killed. It was the federal police who took these university students and basically gave them to cartels to um, exterminate. And, you know, just when COVID came, I've sort of had enough with these. And I'm speaking as a Mexican. So legally, I, you can't call me anything. I'm a Mexican. Um, these goody two shoes Mexicans, you know, and who use like the quote from, you know, Romans 13 from the Bible, which says submit to the authorities. But like, wait a minute, the authorities are literally killing us. Uh, you know, COVID came along, you know, public health measures, put on your masks, listen to the government. Wait a minute, they're literally killing us. We got hundreds of cops kidnapping your children, you killing you. You think they care for your public health? It's like, snap, snap out of it. And so, um, you know, just your thoughts on the organized crime element, because our government basically is the cartel, whether it's like, as you said, South Africa or Mexico or, or elsewhere. So if you want to just 
talk about you know this this uh underbelly this this uh mafia state uh or, or transnational crime well so th there's two parts to it so let me just quickly talk to you about our police service which is completely broken so in 2018 the former the previous commissioner of police that was fired because this is how we get rid of police commissioners in south africa they're either dismissed for corruption or they're fired for incompetence, or it's never the right person for the job because it's always a political appointment. He admitted to Parliament in 2018 that the National Crime Prevention Strategy had collapsed, his words. Now, the National Crime Prevention Strategy was a policing strategy that has been in place since 1998 that was specifically engineered to address all sorts of community policing-related uh, issues and, and, and the overall criminal picture in South Africa. So the fact that that thing has had collapsed in the space of two decades was already quite alarming. Then the next thing he said is that the South African Police Service's constitutional mandate is impossible to fulfill. And the constitutional mandate is, is very simple. It is that the police service has the responsibility and the task and the duty to secure the citizens of the Republic and their property against crime and violence. So what he essentially directly said is that it's impossible for the police to maintain a national safety and security situation at all. Um, things have not improved, I think, about four or five years of running budget cuts, totaling close to 50% of the total police budget were announced also in 2018, and those budget cuts end in 2023 which means our, our crime rates have spiraled out of control. And to illustrate how bad it is, our conviction rate for murder is 15%. Our conviction rate for rape is less than 9%. And our conviction rate for, the, we call it the category trio crimes, that is robbery at residential premises, robbery at commercial premises, and vehicle hijacking is less than 3%. So crime is very cheap in South Africa. It's almost, um, I mean, if you think about it, your chance of going to prison for rape, or rather not going to prison for rape is 91%, and your chance of getting away with murder is 85%. So it's, it's fairly uh, easy to be a violent criminal here. Then the police themselves, I think, last stat I had was 2018. There were like 9,000 and something criminal complaints against police officers. And bear in mind, only a fraction of police corruption, criminality actually actually gets reported because people for the most part believe nothing's going to get done or they're intimidated out of reporting it. So it's probably way more than just 9,000. But to illustrate, we're looking at 270 for that year, for 2018, it was 271 deaths in police custody, 715 deaths as a result of police action, and there were 159 cases of rape by police officials reported, as well as 6,000 cases of torture and assault. And you look at these statistics and you go, these are the people who are supposed to be maintaining law and order in South Africa. And for the most part, they know better than, than common criminals themselves. And in fact, uh, we have many uh, um, non-government organizations that actually do proper research into this. And the one which is the South African Institute of Race Relations has said that the South African police service has become an entity that is infiltrated and captured by criminals, as opposed to infiltrating the criminal organizations themselves. That's how, the how bad the reversal has gotten. That was already from a few years ago. When we talk about organized crime, we have, so we have gangs. Uh, Cape Town is especially renowned for them, um, and they're quite violent. And their primary industry is drugs, crystal meth, for the most part, 
And they've been engaged now, I think, for the past two years in an increasingly violent turf war. They're incredibly well-armed because between 2007 and, I think, 2014, but this racket is ongoing, the police stole firearms that were handed into police custody by their lawful owners during firearm amnesties. And one colonel by himself sold 9,000 of these guns to the gangs. Um, this is carrying on to the extent where fully automatic military grade stuff is regularly caught uh, or, or gangsters are found to have them. We have uh, cash and transit gangs that have formed into cartels that are equally well armed. We have something called the taxi mafia, where are long distance and uh, and city uh, taxi organisations uh, engage in turf wars and intimidation and racketeering, as well as something called the construction mafia, where property developers are. Uh, approached for protection money by uh, so-called community forums who are really just gangsters uh, trying to to muscle in on 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 them and then getting paid off so all of these guys actually uh, oh and then we have got the illegal miners that have got belt fed machine guns and all sorts of stuff and all of them actually trade amongst them amongst each others uh, the illegal miners known as the zamazamas act as hitmen and enforcers and they also run their own protection rackets and then you've got the cigarette smugglers because we smuggle cigarettes in south africa because our taxation on them is so high that we've created the flourishing black market for contraband untaxed cigarettes so you know uh, wonderful market mechanisms we have. Uh, the taxi mafia have their hitmen that they do work for other criminal organizations, and they all sort of work together in this network that's heavily politically connected. Our minister of police, Begit Trele, for example, is close personal friends with people called the Gektaba brothers, and they are the some of the most violent taxi mafiosi that own one of the biggest taxi mafia organizations uh, in KZN, which is our, our easternmost coastal province. These guys are politically connected there. Um, the gangs in the Western Cape are also politically connected to senior policemen and uh, high-level government officials. So there was an author, I think it was a guy called Peter Louis Mayberg. He wrote a book called Gangster State or Mafia State to describe these political connections with the organized crime. And that's exactly what we are, is we're a state that's run by gangsters, uh, both official and unofficial. And that's without wanting to, because we can talk about this for hours. That is the, the best overall summary I can give you. But if you've got questions, please, please ask. No, I think you outlined it uh, well. And I think these principles can be carried over to any other country. I mean, you mentioned taxi mafia. I mean, here in Mexico, how many times have I read stories where it seemed like, uh, you know, taxis, here we're acting in collusion with cartels, you know, whether it's assassinating people, renditioning people, um, stealing from their own passengers um, and, and so forth. And I think these are key principles we can just replicate to other parts of the world. I mean, even the United States, you know, but it's just just more, much more refined, I, I guess, mafia states, uh, United States, you know, what white collar sort of uh, crimes and you know the the electricity thing you know the, this sort of collapse situation uh we you know we might find ourselves in you know the great reset klaus schwab they talk about cyber pandemics and um ra rationing energy like th this sort of dystopian future and we're starting to get a taste of it in different parts of the world uh, i was in croatia the electricity there was going out for a while 
here in Mexico. Like it just it seems to be with increasing frequency. And um, I saw clips from from your Twitter you know, about long periods in South Africa without electricity. I, I don't know internet. Uh, there was a recent news story you tweeted about food now crisis in parts of South Africa or people going uh, without food. What what sort of the situ situation when it comes to these things? So the electricity crisis is a long time coming. So we've got a state monopoly on the commercial provision of electricity. And it's done by an organization called ESCOM, which is the Electricity Supply Corporation of South Africa. The state-owned entity, I think it was started about 1923. And then obviously inherited in 1994 by the new democratic dispensation. And they then proceeded to mismanage this thing into the ground by literally building uh, insufficient new infrastructure to actually keep the industries running. So we've had a manufacturing sector collapse, I think, starting about two, uh, 2011. And in spite of that, it hasn't been a sufficient decline in large-scale uh, economic activity for us to keep the lights on with our existing uh, power generation infrastructure. So we run mostly on coal, electricity in South Africa, so coal-burning uh, power plants. Um Lots of them are very old and still insufficient, and we're getting an incredible number of breakdowns. And the reason we're getting breakdowns is because there's a mafia inside ESCOM that um, is sabotaging it for political reasons or for commercial gain, economic gain. And the current management structure of ESCOM has been entirely incapable of getting control of that. So we're sitting with what we call now stage three rolling blackouts, uh, which is I think you don't have electricity for about, uh, let me count quickly, about nine hours of the day in various phases. I'm off-grid, um, but most people aren't off-grid, so they just kind of have to push through this. We went up to stage six uh, for more than a week about a month ago, which meant you had about electricity less than 12 hours a day, which means doing business is almost impossible. So we have this, we're teaching on the, the edge of a grid collapse and have for probably more than a year. Had, had that problem. And now our president at COP27 is going to tell the wonderful globalist European Union partners about our plans to shut down 10 of our coal power plants um, in order to comply with this emission, the emission targets and uh, this, this green economy that they want to build. Um, except for the inconvenient part that we have nothing with which to replace these coal power plants were shutting down. So uh, to call it dystopian is 100% correct. It's like there the, the is a 100% committed push to just destroying people and their lives and their livelihoods and their ability to manufacture anything will be remotely independent uh, from state slavery. And then we have the food crisis, which is now a worldwide thing. So we have a food security problem in one of our provinces called the Eastern Cape. Um, there were reports already out of 2020 about kids there like eating wild plants just to survive because they don't have money to buy food, which is more of an economic problem. We still have more than large scale enough commercial farming in South Africa, but because of the price of our fuel going up, as well as our refining capacity that has collapsed, we only have one operating fuel refinery left, um, which is a third of what it used to be, meaning we're almost entirely dependent on, and love your mug, by the way, um, yeah, for for people's nieces, right? Uh, and the Fed, yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
we're almost entirely dependent on fuel imports, which are incredibly expensive. Fuel being one of the most important productive inputs in the economy, um, everything we do from uh, planting to harvesting to transporting things, all of the stuff runs on the price of fuel. So we are experiencing extraordinary food price inflation. Hungry people are angry people. And we have a lot of hungry, angry people in South Africa um, with a high unemployment rate and low productivity rate, which is also why our number of violent protests or riots over the past decade have increased by 300%. And we now have more than 10 a day of them. So, yeah, these these things, unfortunately, are all connected. It looks like uh, a zombie movie going forward. I mean, I, I even fear this scenario for Mexico, just this overall trend as things just become dilapidated, fall apart, infrastructure, as you mentioned, electricity and whatnot, food crisis, uh, especially in urban areas. You're going to see more homeless people, more people carrying out crime, uh, getting desperate, uh, and it's going to be like a zombie movie. You mentioned off grid. I mean, I, I'm interested. In, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're 100% solar and you've got like battery packs that keep you running 100%? And then, you know, how do you get internet and, and that sort of thing? Maybe for our listeners, unpack that a, a bit for us. So I'm not 100% off-grid. Um, Electricity-wise, I'm probably about 80 to 85% off-grid. So if I expanded my capacity a little bit more, then I, I, I could function without being plugged into um, government-provided electricity at all. But to the extent I, if I have 14 hours a day without electricity, um, I'm fine. If I have zero hours a day without electricity and the sun shines uh, for six to eight of those hours, I'm also fine. My problem comes in in winter when we have three or four days of overcast conditions and rain, then I'm not going to be 100% off-grid. I'll be off-grid for three days and then I'm going to be in trouble. So um, that's kind of where I am. Water infrastructure-wise, I do have rainwater collection, stuff like that, but I am to a degree very much dependent on the government's uh, uh, water provision. However, I live in Cape Town, which is an opposition-run municipality. Uh, all of the Western Cape province is. So the infrastructure here is well looked after. We do have, um, apart from electricity and, and policing, uh, there's metro policing and then other forms of law and order that, that the city and the metro looks after in the province. But the national functions, they can't do much about. But everything else, I, I mean, I'm, I can still live. Uh, Johannesburg, our biggest city, uh, so supposed um, world-class African city, as they like to call it, is presently sitting with half of that city with no water. And it, and it has been that way for about two to three weeks now. And the reason it has no water is all the dams are full. They're blaming it on climate change. They, there was sufficient rain. The dams are full. The reason they, don't, they can't get water to the people is because the infrastructure has been abused and dilapidated and not maintained. And uh, they are losing about 50% of the water they provide to residents to leaks. Um, and then the uh, mayoral council brings out a, a communication where they're asking people that they need to reduce their demand, which isn't going to fix the water that's leaking out of the broken infrastructure. So they've, they've actually succeeded, I think, in breaking a city and they might kill it. Um, but yeah, that's that's also why some of the provinces that aren't completely broken are talking about breaking away and, and if not completely seceding, devolving those national powers down to, to provincial and local level. 
like federalizing it. I, I wanted to get your thoughts then on, I'll call it World War Z. There's, I mean, it's funny that movie about, you know, with uh, uh, what's his face, Brad Pitt, um, World War Z zombies. And now we've got this uh, special military operation, you know, I think they call it Z in Ukraine. Uh, that's kind of that symbolism is interesting, but uh, just the things are sort of falling apart. And as you mentioned, at the national level, there's a lot of things that we can't do anything about. Things just, you know, at the at the big levels. And then we got to deal with where we are locally. I, I, I always like to recite Teddy Roosevelt's uh, quote, do what you can uh, with what you got where you are. Uh, you mentioned parallel sort of structures. I've had many guests talk about we need to focus on parallel economies, parallel societies, parallel structures to get through uh, this. You touched on, you know, the grid aspect going off grid and maybe to get some more, you know, g- general key themes and, and, and principles uh, from you as what we can do going forward. You mentioned the water leaks. I mean, that's also a problem here in Mexico, probably a general problem where, you know, through the piping, a lot of water just gets lost because of the, the poor infrastructure. But uh, maybe some key principles, you know, when it comes to, you know, food, water, location or relocation, one big trend seems to be leaving urban areas and going more suburban or uh, rural. So uh, I think there's probably value in in leaving urban areas because densely populated sort of highly urban places where uh, you've got limited road infrastructure and and things like that. It's it's not somewhere you want to get stuck if things get really ugly. But I'm not one of those proponents that say, oh, you you need a little cabin out in the woods because uh, keeping yourself alive without some form of community is is a very difficult thing to do um and it's impossible to be a doomsday prepper and have a warehouse full of food uh that's going to keep your life for three years uh I, joe joe by the way which you already had on is, is is a great great person to explain the stuff because i'm also reading his books but something that we're doing on a practical level here is is we have started what you call mutual assistance groups, but they're not called that. Um, they're civil society organizations that you join, and they usually have a specific uh, original purpose or feature. They're either agricultural organizations, they're community safety organizations, they're child safety uh, or education organizations. There are many other emergency services organizations, and they're almost, for the most part, voluntary. And they either require you to pay a membership fee or they require you to just pitch in as a volunteer and just help where you can. And some of them are quite complex and they offer everything from actual safety and security from a community policing point of view to medical response included into that to all sorts of other things. And then you expand these these community responsibilities into other areas. We're talking about education, infrastructure, maintenance, and expansion, whether you're talking about fixing roads, fixing water infrastructure, maintaining electrical infrastructure within your community. There are people with required skill set, specializations, tools, and and whatnot to be able to do that. And suddenly you start building this, this, this small point of hardening and resilience. That's not very big on its own, but it's capable of withstanding this 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 tide of chaos and violence because it has taken stock of its resources and its skills and and it's sort of aligned its sails to the wind and it has a com- compass and it's going in the right direction and 
before you know it, there's a whole bunch of other points of resilience not too far away. And you can connect these points with secure lines of communication, whether it's road or just uh, telecommunication or whatever. And you start linking them into little island chains where you can throw the walls out further and actually secure those areas. And normal life can, to some degree, continue productive, good life within that in times of a crisis. And there's a there was a professor of constitutional law uh, in South Africa. His name is Kurs Malan. He wrote a book called There Is No Supreme Constitution, where he actually explains that our constitution doesn't exist because any constitution only exists for so long as sufficient number of people believe in it. And that is the unfortunate practical reality of constitutions is you can write all sorts of pretty things in them if people don't agree that they should exist then they almost it's almost like terry pratchett's small gods the thing just stops existing altogether with a great enough number of dis- disbelief however he also said that walls around your suburban house is a negotiation with the criminal you're s- essentially telling someone it's okay for you to commit all sorts of active violence and nonsense outside of this these walls within here is only my domain and his whole suggest- suggestion to society is you need to throw your walls out. You need to take them further in the sense, take back your communities first, um, not by building a physical wall around them, but by owning that vacuum and that space through your projected presence and your uh, your initiatives in order to maintain that safety and security bubble, so to speak. And the more people that do that as well, you start again, like the island chains we talked about, you start linking security bubbles up and you force the the violent element out of it. What happens? What happened in South Africa to a large part, why we are as violent as we are, apart from the fact that violence and crime is cheap, is there's a vacuum. The government safety and security infrastructure collapsed and failed, but no one stepped up to fill that vacuum. So it was filled by criminals instead. And yeah, we have one of the largest private security industries in the world, and they did step up to the plate somewhat, but... A private security company can only go as far as the contract with its client allows it to go and it gets paid to do. And if you have a whole bunch of people just paying an armed response company to drive past once every few hours, um, you're not filling a vacuum at all. You're just paying a fee to make yourself feel better, but you're not achieving anything. So when you're talking about parallel institutions, it's not just one thing. It's not have a vegetable garden. Um, try and get yourself weaned off dependence from from the state and, and things like that. But also understand that we are interdependent creatures, and that cooperating with the right people and and thinking outside the box, pertaining tasks that need to get done, is bigger than just a single element. And no, you're not going to bug out into the prairie. Uh, rural places are sometimes even more dangerous than cities, especially in South Africa. Yeah, that's the same here in in, in Mexico. And as you mentioned, uh, we lack that moral, cultural force in that vacuum. Uh, I mean, here in Mexico, that's why these criminals come in and the average citizen um, is lazy. And we need to promote, you know, law and order and, and good morals and, 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 and values. And um, it's what you just explained. That's the common denominator that I've been getting uh, now from guests is community and network that approach of bugging out it's it's a failure i mean even here in mexico i've had people tell me people who work in real estate if you go too far outside of the city here 
because uh, you know you, you where everything's congregated you've still got the police congregated in the city but the further you go out the less police presence there is and the more there are criminals and so i mean what are you going to do they can just go rob uh, you kill you rape your you know your 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 wife or whatever out uh, in the boondocks and so we need to focus on on we can't do anything n- nothing on our own and as as you just explained finding these putting together i like how you said these these security sort of bubbles linking things up uh and that's definitely i think uh the way to go and i, I get people asking me you know i had someone in rural canada ask me about uh if they they should go to russia i'm like i mean do you speak any russian you know no uh, do you know anyone in russia it's like no well you know i i'm a slav uh, i'm a croatian so i already understand like 50 percent russian many things are very similar so you know I, for someone like myself but even still I, I i don't know that many people and so it might be better to stay where you are and just build these networks and um you know uh, other tips maybe physical security financial we don't have to go into too much detail but you know here in mexico it's difficult legally to get a gun there's only one gun store in the capital the paperwork is insane to you know to go through the paperwork um you know just any other just key quick thoughts on you know physical uh security um or you know even financial uh, security a lot of people buy gold silver crypto uh, I, I try to say, get out of fiat and buy things that you're going to need, you know, non-perishable goods and, and that sort of thing. So I'll start with the financial one. I think your, your advice is, is really good in the sense, look, gold's great. Gold comes with some problems. Uh, gold comes that it's usually denominated in fine ounces and one fine ounce is quite expensive and it might be difficult for the average person to afford a full fine ounce of gold. The second problem with gold is is safekeeping and transportation and that sort of stuff. The good thing about it is it doesn't spoil. It doesn't get moldy. It doesn't rot, all those wonderful things. And it's generally considered to be um, a valuable asset, but it's difficult to use as a medium of exchange. It's great to use as a store of value, but in the apocalypse, uh, cigarettes might be worth more to you as a currency, to be honest, than uh, a, a gold coin. Uh, and that's not talking in the absolute extreme. Um, however, I, I, I do like crypto, not all of it. Uh, you need to kind of be very careful what you buy and never, ever, ever put all your eggs in one basket. Don't just pick a certain asset class or a thing. But investing in yourself, investing in skills and knowledge, uh, equipment and uh, non-perishable stuff is is almost like a, a vital thing. You you do need to to have useful tools and the ability to use them. That is going to ge- be able to generate its own sustainable form of income and and and, and produce that way. Um, the second thing pertaining safety and security tips, I always start people off and say the the most important thing for you to do is, is well but two most important things for you to do and they, they're kind of in connect, interconnected the first thing is develop a combative mindset and i believe that every single reasonable person has one mission and has to go home safe and alive and sound to their their loved ones at the end of every day nothing else is more important than that a combative mindset is merely making the active decision every day that you are going to Prevail over whatever life throws at you during the day, even if, especially if it's a criminal encounter, and you will do whatever it takes, regardless of how distasteful it is, to to be victorious, not just to survive, because to survive means you might end up in a wheelchair or paralyzed or something, and that's not good enough 
uh, I think not for me, is you will prevail over your circumstances or your attackers to go home uh, safe and sound to your family. So first thing first is develop that attitude, that understanding that my life has value. And if someone wants to take it from you, you should be fucking angry. You shouldn't be meek or, or apologetic or afraid. You should be furious and enraged at this person who wants to take that from you. And, and you need to do what you need to do to stop them from doing that. The second part is cultivate healthy situational awareness. I mean, I see it in traffic every day. People get sucked into their phones when they're sitting at a red traffic light and then they go, oh, my goodness, how did this person smash my window and steal my handbag? It happened so fast. It's like, no, it didn't happen fast at all. There were there, there were signs of what we call, um, uh, they were predatory telegraphed signals from these people that you could see the pre-attack indicators if you knew what to look for. And they're not difficult things. I mean, there's, there's, you can easily find them on, on the internet. What is a pre-attack indicator? Be unsucked from your phone and plugged into your environment. Just know what's going on around you in a relaxed state of awareness. You can Google the, the Jeff Cooper color codes, the, the condition white, yellow, orange, and red. Um, but we don't even need to go that far. It's just a case of understand what's going around around you, who's in it, where are you, where are you going, have a thorough understanding of these things. And it takes practice because we've almost been deconditioned from being situation aware and conditioned to be easily distracted by everything from billboards to what's going on on Twitter to what's playing on the radio. So with those two skills, if you can combine, combine that with any form of good practical self-defense skill, your primary purpose, obviously, to avoid getting into trouble. If you can't avoid it, to then evade it. But if you can't avoid or evade it, you need to be able to fight and counter it. And obviously, depending upon what is legal and practical in your jurisdiction, um, understand what tools are at your disposal and, and become adept at using at least one of them. Yeah, you mentioned that combative mindset. When I first came to Mexico, my home... Uh, I was not living in a gated community, and my home had been uh, burglarized, ransacked three times while I was uh, away. And I was almost at the point like I was just going to sit with the lights off in the couch uh, all night, you know, with, with a gun, wait, waiting for them to come in the fourth time. And um, as you said, I mean, it's your home. I have no qualms killing someone in in terms of self defense if they're trying to kill. Uh, me and you know, I always even the Old Testament has a section that says, you know, if a burglar comes into your home and you kill them, you know, you know, there's not you, your conscience is, is, is clean. Um, but uh, also the situational awareness. I can't tell you how many times that saved me. I, I mean, I went out for tacos last night. I didn't even take my phone and I'm just sitting there, you know, waiting for the tacos, but just always looking around. And I think just the fact if someone is watching you, just the fact that they see you situationally aware, they're like. I'm probably not going to go for that uh, person. And so, uh, yeah, that's a key thing. And you know, any thought on electronics or cyber or, or communications uh, security? Uh, I like a de-Googled phone, you know, using VPNs, you know, basic stuff like that. Just anything that stands out in, in your mind when it comes to electronic com comms. So there's a few things, but yeah, just on your previous note, you're absolutely 100% correct. Criminals aren't stupid. They do the stuff for a living. They can pick up on your body language, whether or not you're going to be an easy target or not. And if you don't look like lunch, you might not get eaten. So yeah, um, it's very important body language. 
Cybersecurity is a weak point of mine, or electronic security rather, but I do use a VPN as a, as a matter of habit. Um, I actually use, uh, where is this thing of mine? Uh, ExpressVPN, sorry. It's probably not the best one out there. I believe Nord is quite good as well, but it's, it's the one that I do use. Um, I also try to avoid using Google for anything if I can. Um, I actually prefer... Um, Email addresses where the server is semi under my direct control. At least I know the guy who owns the server personally. Um, I try to avoid WhatsApp as much as possible as far as instant messaging goes. There, there are better options. Um, and there's quite a few secure um, premium options. I think the one that I actually have on my phone, but I don't have enough people who want to use it with me, which depresses me, is something called Threema. It's T-H-R-W-E-M-A. Yeah. They have to actually pay to use it, but it's pretty secure and fairly serious um, op OPSEC people make use of it. So I'm, I'm happy with it. But it's basic things like that is um, you are a product for your social media uh, company, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whomever. That's why it's a free-to-use thing. They do harvest your data. Um, it always helps being careful with it. I did try Tor Browser, by the way, for a while. Um, it's good, but it's 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 hard to use for for everyday stuff. But um, I found that Brave browser has been pretty good to me. It's non Google. Well, until some scandal comes out, like there was with DuckDuckGo, where they actually do harvest your data. But um, yeah, I, I actually I'm going to ask you for advice on this one. I think you know a lot more than I do. What do you usually advise people to do? I mean, actually, what what you mentioned was was uh, similar. For example, Google uh, Geopolitics and Empire is blacklisted on Google. If you type in Geopolitics and Empire, uh, my website pop, podcast doesn't come up on the Google search engine. But if you use all the alternatives, everything uh, pops up. And Tor, uh, I don't trust. I've interviewed cypherpunk uh, Paul Rosenberg, who himself said that you know, I mean, Signal was created by the US government. Um, Tor was created by the US government. And so he says a lot of the exit nodes, uh, you know, are on Tor are like run by the FBI or whatever by the state and they can figure stuff. And it's really slow. So um and 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 uh, yeah I don't even I two years ago I uninstalled WhatsApp. Uh and imagine the the world that we live in where a number of my you know fair weather friends, normie friends, they I've lost touch with them just for the fact that I don't have WhatsApp. And it's like, I, I don't care. I mean, if, if that's the level of the relationship, just because I don't have WhatsApp, you don't contact me anymore, then those are friend, you know, people that I don't need, right? You, you don't want to have those kind of people um, in your life. And as you said, WhatsApp, CIA, NSA, governments have access to it. So I actually, I purchased Threema uh, even for my wife and she, she stopped using it. So it's like really hard to get people to use these uh, alternatives. I like telegram and, and 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 other stuff but um yeah vpn um i had to go through three vpns i was living in kazakhstan some years ago and they kept blocking the vpns even my private emails was blocked in kazakhstan and russia and so yeah you got to find all these tools i like to look for the more obscure um sorts of uh tools and yeah i think you you, you touched on most of those uh points and just maybe to bring it back to africa uh, again, you, you sort of outlined a lot of these problems, yet you maintain uh, optimism. You know, what what would be sort of your summary, again, uh, of the situation in, in South Africa? 
So what we're having at the moment in summary is we're having a, a sort of national level infrastructure collapse where only 30% of our rail infrastructure is still working. Most of our road infrastructure is busy eroding quickly. We're on the brink of a grid collapse um, of our national electricity grid. Uh, and we've had perpetual rolling blackouts for almost two straight months. And our biggest metropolitan is running out of water or, or cannot provide water to half of its residents. So from a from an infrastructure point of view, it's a complete disaster. From a political point of view, we're having a governing party, the African National Congress, is set to probably lose the next general election. And they are busy fracturing internally into different factions. And that faction fight is becoming very violent. Plus, they are directly integrated into our criminal underworld or organized crime networks with all the various mafias uh, from taxi mafia, construction mafia, the gangs, uh, the illegal miners, all these sorts of things. So we have a gangster state from a political point of view. Our national safety and security situation is disastrous. We're one of the most violent countries in the world. I think the sixth highest homicide rate internationally last time I checked. Um, and there was a third. Oh, and our e economy is 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 completely wrecked however people haven't sat back and done nothing um there's been a huge amount of organization in building parallel resilient uh economic uh, social security and uh and infrastructure sort of projects and structures and uh, in some places it's more evident than others there are areas of the country that will not survive um or that will never recover but if you go back to 1910, when South Africa was artificially created as the Union of South Africa, we're not really a, a nation state. We are a geographic area with the central government, with 11 tribes and 11 different languages, all sort of semi-cohabitating in relative peace with each other. But none of us really identify with this, this thing called the national identity. And I think we're on the brink of that thing becoming uh, dying. Uh, at its end and and be i'm not quite sure what it will be replaced with but at least we're not back where we were 20 years ago where everyone is still believing in this nonsense it's going to be replaced by the supranational african union and then world uh, government i was talking about this yesterday uh secretary of state u.s blinken and my president amlo of mexico they were literally literally i can't believe it literally calling for north american union literally they're saying integrating canada usa and mexico just like the eu and i know the african union uh, already exists they're trying to make a common currency for one giant block of of uh, africa and bring it whip out those african union passports so i i think you laid it out correctly the national thing isn't working and i think they're trying to bring us into these regional unions time will tell uh, any final then uh thought for us so only two of them the first one is thank Thank goodness Africa is an inefficient, broken, corrupt place. I love it because any form of supranational union is doomed to complete failure. So that's a good thing. Um, and on the other side, maybe these guys are just really big fans of the Aliens franchise and they want to create the, the uh, Uni United Americas for the United States Colonial Space Marine Corps or whatever it's called. They already have Space Force, but they need the rest of North and South America in, in under the same flag for it to work. So, you know, maybe they just maybe they just want to do that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, maybe they are actually aliens or maybe they're reptiles like uh, Terry Baudet, uh, my recent guest. <laughs> said i mean I, I took that as a joke but anyways we're we're, we're joking I don't, I don't really believe in literal shape-shifting reptiles but uh <laughs> um 
where 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 the best I'll include all of your links in the description but just uh you know the where are the best places to find you uh on the, in the internet and if, if you've got any projects you want to mention so um you can probably find me on, on my twitter account uh, most regularly i haven't written a good article in a while I've, I've been a bit swamped um with good projects that i can't quite tell you about yet not because they're illegal but because um there's a little bit of confidentiality with with the um supplier but we but I, if you would like to have me on again i'll gladly talk to you about it um that might be quite a good thing otherwise keep an eye on my website uh .info. um it's p-a-r-a-t-u-s dot info um that's where everything is kind of centrally linked and i'll actually just give you a a proper final thought not a not a joke final thought um i think what we've we've noticed the past two to three years is that Apathy among citizens is a far greater threat for freedom, democracy, all these uh, individual liberty, all these things we all dear than tyrannical governments ever can be. But active citizens, people who believe in individual freedom, liberty, uh, the good things in life um, but that's worth fighting for, standing together and actually actively trying to make a difference holds great power. And we, we mustn't underestimate that power. And uh, I think banding together with people that feel the same way as we do and going in the right direction is, is the answer to this dystopia because our, our elected officials are not going to drive the ship anywhere other than into icebergs forever. And um, I fear that we are down a path that's going to be quite awful for a while, but we're not just passengers on that ride. And that's exactly what my recent guest, Ralph Scholheimer, Austrian um, academic and geopolitical consultant, uh, said the same thing. He said that what's the bigger danger are the are the people from below, you know, as, versus the globalists is our spiritual emptiness, our apathy. Uh, as you said, that's the biggest danger. And I've been sort of banging on about that for 10 plus years as a professor and teacher of history, economics and politics, trying to tell the students like, wake up, learn history, you know, liberty begins with with you, as it says right behind me. And people just want their Netflix and McDonald's and they don't care about anything else. They love the metaverse, but we got to change that. Uh, and you're welcome back anytime. I love your stuff. And uh, thank you for being on Geopolitics Empire. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, 
Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.